Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. My eating disorder started at seven. You get to that point where you're just, you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast, brought to you by BCU, customer-owned banking for you. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge and your daughter's not there. Find someone that you trust more than you trust your eating disorder self. I was in tears and I was screaming at the nurses, give me something to eat. My baby is kicking me. You cannot do this to this life that has no voice yet. There is hope. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I have with me the amazing Katie Mack and she is going to be talking to us about her experiences with OSFED. So for those of you who don't know what OSFED is, that is Other Specified Feeding or Eating Disorder. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today, Katie. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. So I wanted to start off with you giving us a little bit of an insight into your journey, a little bit of an overview. Of course. So it's one of those complicated things that you can't really always pinpoint where it started or why it started. My journey really, it was disguised by all my other mental illnesses that I had going on at the time. So it was thought to be a symptom of them, perhaps. I had depression. So that was commonly thought, you know, lack of appetite was linked to that. It wasn't until later on where I was rapidly losing weight and my behavior around food would change drastically that it was noticed as it was a problem. And so when was that? That was when I was 13. And so how did that manifest? Like, what was it like for someone who didn't understand what what OSFED is, so to speak? Can you give us a little bit of an, an insight? So it always felt like I wasn't sick. That was something that I always felt with this disorder. And lots of people that I know also felt this way because you're not necessarily underweight and it doesn't fit the other diagnostic criteria's with disorders such as anorexia or bulimia. And those are commonly the only disorders that are talked about. So you kind of feel like a fraud. How is it different to, say, an eating disorder that is anorexia or bulimia and has particular characteristics? Is it hard because it is so much more individual? It is, yeah. It's it's not as easy for individuals to pick up. So family members if um, my eating disorder when it started had been drastic and I had, had been significantly underweight, it would have been picked up a lot easier by those around me. And that's something that I think is a very common thing that people struggle with is it's not as visual as other disorders and it's not as recognised as an eating disorder. And so how did it affect your, your day-to-day life? I would go to school, struggle concentrating throughout the whole entire day or I, I would just think about food all the time and... I had a whole list of foods that I couldn't eat, could not eat, and it just became very, like just an obsession that I couldn't control. But it also became a type of obsession that 
I would channel everything into. So it would be kind of a focus point for me, use it to control things. Yeah. So in times of stress, when other things were out of control in your life, you use this as something that you could control? Absolutely. So when I've had periods of relapse with my depression and anxiety or stressful events have been happening in my life, even a couple of months ago, I had some stressful things happening in my personal life that just, I thought I was doing well. And, you know, it's something that just, it hits you when you're struggling emotionally. That's where relapses are most likely to happen. And what do you do now, you know, when those moments do come up? How do you manage that? How do you make sure that you don't slip back? I think it's about awareness, hugely about awareness. So knowing what the trend is and knowing yourself. So everyone takes a while to realize what cycle they go down and the pathways, but it's catching it early because when you first notice the urges, like when you're upset, perhaps it's easy to go into those things and think of it not as, you know, your eating disorder trying to sneak back in because it it is common when something tragic happens or upsetting people lose their appetite, but knowing that it is very different if you have that past and it is very easy to slip up. So I think it's about talking to people and having a safe, like whether it be a friend, uh, my mum's really good. So if I feel like things are stressful, I always talk to my mum and just let her know that I think I'm slipping and she helps me stay on the right track. Was exercise something that you struggled with as well? Yeah, definitely. I've always been very black and white with exercise. So when I was feeling not well in myself, I'd be compulsively exercising. Um, I would go to the gym until I passed out. And it wouldn't be in a good way for my body. It would be always because I hated myself and I didn't like my body and it was a punishment rather than I'm doing this because I want to be healthy, which is my mindset at the moment. Absolutely. So how do you make sure, like, do you have something that you you do in order to make sure that you don't go down that track with exercise again? So I think, again, it's about awareness and talking to people and realizing that perhaps if you're not in a good space or having disordered thoughts popping in, that going to the gym might not be the best idea. And that's okay. I often feel it's good to do things such as going out for walks with friends to get forms of exercise in other ways that are less likely to be abused. It's always good to be around other people, isn't it? Because it gives the, the eating disorder less of an opportunity to really get you into its clutches. Definitely. What part of your journey would you say has been the most challenging? I think it would definitely be periods where I'd lost friends and had a lot of emotional issues with family as a result of my eating disorder. So hurting others, it's been really hard on my family. That It also is, draws me back whenever I go into a dark place. I remember the consequences that it's had on my family and my relationships. Because it, it does, it infiltrates every every aspect of your life. And I think it's so important. Those relationships to us are so important. And I always feel really grateful that I was able to uh, repair those to an extent when I recovered rather than having lost them for good because of what my eating disorder had, how my eating disorder had made me behave. Yeah, absolutely. My my relationship with my mum now is stronger than ever, but there was a period of time it just, it was so difficult for her And she didn't know how to help because there wasn't a lot of information as well out there about the disorder, which was a huge problem as well. With that, do you feel that there was also, because of that lack of information and because there is such a focus on, as you say, eating disorders such as anorexia and bulimia or binge eating disorder, do you feel that there was a bit of judgment and stigma around it? 
Absolutely. Um, when I had to go see dietitians, I would always compare myself to other people in the waiting room as well. And once someone said to me, oh, you obviously don't have any of those, it was categorized as not not serious. And I think that was viewed by lots of other people with the disorder or just society as a whole. Whereas it is completely valid just because it's not what we traditionally see portrayed in the media. It's really important to realise that the battle and, and the struggle that an individual who's suffering with OSFED has is just as intense as someone who's struggling with any other form of eating disorder. Exactly. And it's important for people to be aware that it is associated with a lot of physical health issues as well, like any eating disorder and any mental health issue can be. Yeah, it doesn't discriminate from that. Were there moments during your journey where you felt hopeless? Absolutely. I, I thought there was nothing more to life than my eating disorder. And because it had been such a long time from the onset of it, I thought that it was never going to get better. And I had gone through periods of time, a couple of months, where I had been on the right track, but that it had always been followed by a relapse. So that every time I would fall backwards, it would just remind me that, oh, well, I clearly can't do this. In those moments where you felt like, okay, I clearly can't do this, what kept you fighting? What kept that that spark of hope alive? The little things. So that includes my dog. Well, that's a big thing. She's she's amazing. Pets, spending some time outside, doing art, just little things that really help you find more light in your life. Because I feel like it is hard to take steps to recovery if you're feeling in a really dark place. So it's really key to try and build your days with things that lift you up and then you'll be in more of a space to fight. I think that's wonderful that those little things, as you say, that build you up. I love that. What influence, if if any, did social media have on the development of your eating disorder and on your recovery? It had a massive influence. Um, For me, I was on Tumblr at age 10 or 11, and that was one place where it just really influenced me with self-harm, with my depression as well. It showed me diets. There was lots of um, pro-anorexia websites that just would pop up as ads as well when I was on social media. Lots of little tips and tricks to lose weight. And it also led to the idea that you could only be pretty and worth anything if you were skinny. And my whole feed was covered with girls who were skin and bone. It showed me that that's what I should be like. In your recovery, were you able to dismantle it a little bit and get rid of those? Do a bit of a social media cleanse, so to speak? Have you got to the point now where that's not what your, your feed is filled with? Yeah, definitely. I didn't really think that social media, except Tumblr, had anything, any effect on my mental health at all until my boyfriend actually pointed out the detrimental subconscious effects that it may be having. Since then, I um, followed accounts that perpetuate any ideas that are unhealthy or any dieting things because you get that enough from adverts and it's just really not helpful. But also with social media, when I was on my recovery journey, when I started recovering, I would often compare myself to other people. Summer would be a really hard time because you'd see everyone exposed, you know, in their bikinis and their shorts. And I would just be obsessive about it. I'd like zoom in and be like, oh my gosh, they're skinnier than me. And it would just become such a big cycle. I even now do quite a few social media cleanses. I just delete Instagram and Facebook from my phone, knowing that sometimes I'm not able to completely 
detach from that idea. You're right. It is about whether in the particular life circumstances that you're in or whatever's going on for you, are you able to, as you say, detach or are you in too much of a vulnerable space? And I think that's great. Getting rid of the apps completely for periods of time is so, so wonderful. Exactly. And I think it comes back to the idea of awareness, just being aware of your limitations. And it's it's actually a very good thing to be able to delete Instagram, regardless of mental health issues or anything. It's perfectly okay. And there's no shame in doing things that will benefit you in your recovery. What I often say is that it's not selfish. It's not silly. It's self-preservation. Exactly. (laughs) And if we don't do those things, then we just give the eating disorder all sorts of opportunities to creep its way back in. Yeah, it's it's like giving fuel to the eating disorder and there's times where you're more vulnerable and susceptible to that energy and it's just about being important, like really considerate about yourself and knowing that once you slip up, it, it is hard to get back up. It's prevention more so, I think. Mm, completely. Have you come to a place of acceptance now with your body? Not completely. Some days I do. Some days I'm like, oh, look at me. I love myself. Yeah, my body. It's done so much good for me, but I still struggle. I think that is to do with a lot of like weight fluctuations. Things such as if I haven't been able to go to the gym, it will, I think it's a subconscious thing, but it makes me automatically dislike myself more, which I'm trying to work on. I think that's where you really have to question yourself, isn't it? Okay am I really doing this exercise just because I love it? Because if I'm still having those thoughts around, you know, if I don't go, interesting sort of slightly disordered thoughts about about your body, it would sort of lead you to believe that, okay, maybe there is a little bit of a thing still going on there. And I think it can take many years to really develop that healthy, healthy relationship with exercise where it isn't something that you're doing to alter your body shape or to alter your weight. It's just something that you are doing for pleasure and to keep, you know, for me, me, I know it's a lot about my my mental health as well. Exactly. Yeah. I've taken a step back from the gym at the moment, just because I thought that it would be the best idea, just given how I'm viewing things at the moment. But it's really, it's, I think it's good when you've got a good community. I think that's the most important thing. And it's, I go because it makes me feel good now and like endorphins, uplifting community, but I need to be very insightful about when it kind of crosses the line of why am I going to the gym and knowing that if I don't go to the gym, that's okay. And I don't need to earn my food. That's another thing that's very commonly perpetuated in social media is that you have to earn your food. Even ideas like, oh, I deserve this. I went to the gym. No, you you deserve it anyway. You don't need to go to the gym to deserve that chocolate cake. It is really hard because we are in a society where distorted behaviors are praised and, you know, bandied around everywhere. And we see it everywhere in the language that's used. And as you say, in social media. And so it's so important to kind of pull yourself up on that and be like, no, actually, even if you're just talking to yourself be like, no, like I could have whatever I want. I don't need to earn it. I think it's so dangerous the way that society just talks about it. Like it's just normal to have that relationship because it is so, so toxic, especially with people who are vulnerable to experiencing eating disorders. I agree. And something that I've found that's been very helpful for my recovery is actually if someone says something that is untrue or potentially detrimental to you or others, to actually call them out on it in a helpful and constructive way. I had a teacher um, a couple of years ago at uni who was talking about how bread is bad for you, carbs are bad, And I came in with a bit of science. 
explaining that it, that was incorrect. And also just after class, I just said to them that, you know, they're t- teaching a bunch of teenage girls. We were all like 19 at the time. That's a very vulnerable group, especially to be preaching these ideas to. I said that as much for other people as me, but I knew if I didn't say anything, I would go home and I wouldn't be able to eat bread. It's standing up for yourself in a way that just helps you to kind of fight those thoughts. Good on you for saying something, because unless we call out the diet culture stuff, it's not going to stop. Nothing's going to change. I know sometimes it feels like it's just a tiny little drop in the ocean, but it's important that we do our bit to make a difference. Definitely. Have you got any lasting physical implications from from your eating disorder? Yeah, so I've I've got eating disorder and stress-induced IBS, which I still struggle with on the daily. I um, take a lot of medication for, and I've got a few heart problems, primarily um, tachycardia and chest pain. So I get dizzy a lot as well due to that. Other problems, I had some problems with my kidneys, so I'm more susceptible to infections as well and some kidney problems. So these are things that I deal with on the daily that just affect me. My whole digestive, because I've gone through periods of restriction and frequent ones of that, my body, if I miss a meal accidentally or I'm busy, my body just goes into fight. I get nauseous, I get physically sick. I think it's my way, like my body's way of protecting itself and preparing. It doesn't trust me yet. So I'm still trying to work up that trust and that make sure my body knows that it's going to get its next meal. It's such a big part of recovery, earning that trust back from your dear body, because you're right, all it wants to do is protect you and keep you alive. And when for many years you have basically abused it, it finds it hard to trust you again. Yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't think it would actually be a thing. I, you know, when I started eating, I just thought I'd just go back to normal and that would be it. But that's a really like hard thing about eating disorder recovery is often you gain more weight than you were to begin with because your body's fluctuating and it's trying to account for, protect itself basically. And I think it's so important for people to realize that. For me, it was a massive part of my journey um, at the end there, going into overshoot and just letting it fluctuate. And, and I think my body still really fluctuates now. There's no particular rhyme or reason for it, but just be kind with yourself, be gentle, and remember that, hey, my body's gone through a lot and I deserve to just be kind, nourish body, mind, and soul and allow it to do whatever it's doing now for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important to for everyone with eating disorders to really appreciate what their body's done for them despite what they have done to it. And that is a reason for my ongoing recovery as well. When I physically want food, but mentally it's too tough. I know now that, you know, that's what I have to do. I have to, even when I'm, sometimes I believe there's like a big connection between my cognition and my physical senses. So I often get nauseous if I don't want to eat, but I really have to fight that in order to keep recovering. Completely. Got to keep fighting. (laughs) It's so important. What are some of the tools and strategies that helped you most in your recovery? or that you still use now to keep yourself, you know, on the straight and narrow, so to speak? I think distraction has its time and place in recovery. Definitely when you're getting overwhelmed with thought, intrusive thoughts, but it's important that you mix that with other tools such as talking to someone, whether it be a counsellor, friend, journaling, 
I always find writing down my thoughts and kind of trying to make sense of them does help because thoughts come in in waves and they come and go so quickly that it's kind of nice to jot down what I'm thinking. Just write it down and just let it go because often if we keep it in our head and it just spirals and manifests, it's hard to break away from that chain. I think that's so good. Getting it out is so important. And I think also people often have this idea that journaling needs to be some perfect thing or it needs to be done this way because that's how, you know, a friend does it or a colleague does it. And I think it's such a personal thing, how you journal and and what you get out. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a recounting of your day or your feelings or it can be done in so many different ways. And I think often people don't journal because they think, well, I don't want to do it like that. But journaling can be however you want it to be. Exactly. It's so personal. I mean, I have messy pages, I have tidy pages and pretty ones with butterflies and flowers. I think it's just really important to do what works for you. And one of my most helpful pages that I've ever done has been, I wrote down a bunch of reasons to eat and I made it all pretty with gold and I got up to about 80 reasons. And so whenever I'd be struggling, I would look back at my book and I'd be like, hey, I've got all these reasons. And some of them were people, my future, what I want to achieve. You know, the simple things is going to the beach in summer. You know, that's a reason to eat. Having the energy to go out with friends and try new food. There's just so many reasons. So I would encourage people to do that, to actually try list reasons. And at first it's really difficult. You think, oh, maybe one or two reasons if that. And I I build up my list over a period of weeks and months. Even now I add to it occasionally. But it's a really good tool to fall back on when you're struggling. That's fantastic. I haven't heard of someone doing that before. I've heard we do sort of lists of what am I fighting for, but reasons to eat. It's great. Yeah, it was definitely a a milestone. And it's even just small things like being able to go and see my papa or driving my car because you can't drive your car safely if you don't eat. And that's just the reality of it. Things like that. It helped me to support my friends when they were dealing with the same issues. I was able to, you know, send them photo, personalize the list for them And that actually had a really beneficial effect on them as well. That's wonderful. How thoughtful of you. I love that idea. What has been the most valuable thing your eating disorder journey has taught you? Oh, that's a tricky one. I think self-comparison, that's the biggest, like not to compare myself to others. And that lesson stemmed from my eating disorder, but it's been able to be applied to so many different areas of my life. It's always been something that I've done, you know, compared myself to others so much. During my recovery, I actually realized a lot of it has stemmed from that obsessive behavior that I had with my eating disorder. It's never beneficial to compare yourself to others, especially in terms of looks. Everyone's body is different. Everyone's mind's different. But everyone's unique and you are you. That's all that matters. And also the fact that you cannot determine health by looking at someone That is a little side lesson that I got taught. If someone's underweight, they don't necessarily have an eating disorder. If someone's overweight, they don't. It it is a mental illness, not a physical one. It's a mental one with physical side effects. Yes. And it's so important to remember that comparison is literally the thief of joy. Lethal. Yes. I always say to my clients, stay in your lane. Keep focused. Keep your hands on the steering wheel and stay in your lane and keep focused on 
your destination and where you're going because that is what is most important. And also the world would be incredibly boring if we all looked the same and we were all walking around like clones. I mean, I think it's one of the beauties of being human is that we are all unique. Exactly. We're all unique in, in so many different ways. And everything we do is going to be different. So that's a part of the struggles during eating disorders where people compare what are they eating, what like do they exercise, and those elements are so individual as well. Completely. In your opinion, what are the best ways that people can support someone who is going through OSFED? I think it, reading up on it, because you might know anorexia, you might know of bulimia, but often people don't know of OSFED. It's about getting the information, whether it be from online resources, your doctor or a healthcare professional, to actually find some resources to support. But the number one person that will know what they need is them. So talk to them. What do you need from me? What helps? Because what is helpful for one person is not helpful for the next. There's some things that my friend's parents do to help them that if the same was done to me, I would relapse. It would be so significantly detrimental to me. So it's just such an individual thing, recovery, and supporting someone needs to be tailored to that. And it's amazing, isn't it? You know, suffering from the same, say, disorder, you know, parents doing one thing and you're just like, no, that would be the worst thing for me. It really does speak to just how individualized it is. Definitely. I think it's something that people also need to realize that they don't necessarily know what's best and logic doesn't always know what's best. So definitely talking to them about it, about what can help them is the most important thing and it's crucial. What words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with today, especially those who are still battling away in the trenches, fighting for for that freedom? I would say definitely do write a list of reasons to eat and whether that be doing it by yourself or with a friend, because sometimes when you're in a dark place, you can't really see what could be another reason. So it's fun to do like a collaboration with a friend or someone who's there or your therapist or recovery coach, or someone who is in your life that's able to do that. And as well as finding some reasons, even just one reason, to keep going, to fight for your future, because you need to eat to maintain life. You need to fight to recover. You cannot live forever with eating disorders. You've got to fight, and you've got to choose to fight. But to find something, whether it be tiny, to fight for is something that will really help. Yeah, it's having that little little thing that you can focus on and help bring you out of those moments of, of despair and darkness and have that little, little spark of light or a rainbow, whatever you want to call it, but that little thing to just make you go, yeah, this is why I'm doing it. I think it's, yeah, it's a different, it's a little sparkle. And I think the way that I helped find my sparkle was by helping others and volunteering. So I think if you're in a dark place and you're struggling with your eating disorder, sometimes it's good to zoom out and spend your time somewhere else to really focus on a different area in a positive and productive way. I love that because often giving back gives just as much to the person who's giving back as it does to who's, you know, who's receiving that help because there's just, it's such a wonderful reciprocal thing, I feel. Yeah. And it puts things in perspective as well. So it doesn't decrease the validity of your experience, but it puts things in perspective that maybe that is actually enough to help lift you out of the space that you're in. 
totally. And perspective can be such an incredibly powerful tool uh, in recovery. I know that I definitely use that a lot myself in terms of reminding myself that, hey, I'm a little tiny speck on this big wide world. I'd often do it out in the ocean. It's not to make you feel guilty for, for struggling with what you're struggling with, but it just helps you to take some deep breaths and remember that it is possible to get through this. And although it might feel overwhelming at the time and like it's just almost suffocating, it is something that you can manage. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. I really, really appreciate it. And there are some wonderful little gems of wisdom for our listeners to take away. So Thank you for being vulnerable and authentic and open and giving us a little bit of an insight because I think it is so important. We get more of an idea of what it is like to struggle with eating disorders that, you know, well, I guess we might say that they're not as broadly reported on in the media or mainstream or whatever you want to say, but I think they are just as important and it's important for people to understand how they affect the lives of those who are afflicted by them. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Millie. There is hope at endad.org.au. This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast, brought to you by BCU, customer-owned banking for you. This is a Casco Media production.